welcome our new sponsor to the Man at 50 podcast, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran, and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code Richard at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Man at 50 podcast. I'm your host, S. Richard, author of the book, Man at 50, A Journey of Crisis, Revelation, and Survival. So let's get started on the Man at 50 podcast, a podcast that is for you, your little person within you, your hopes, your dreams, and hopefully a new plan for the future. Welcome back, everyone, to the Man at 50 podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, author of the book, Man at 50. And we are joined by a special guest today, Wade Franson. He is the author of the new book, The People of the Sign. And just to give you kind of a heads up, this is, a, this is an incredible story. And uh, Wade is going to share this story with us uh, shortly. But I want to I just read a little excerpt uh, from the book. Uh, what do divorce, alcoholism, kidnapping, radio evangelism, ancient prophecies, the collapse of the Soviet Union, church schism, and the Stockholm Syndrome have in common with the music of the Beatles? Okay, I won't repeat that, but that is a loaded question. And to help us kind of get our heads wrapped around that, I want to welcome to the podcast, Wade Fransom. Thanks, Brad. It's really a pleasure to be with you here today. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, there are so many things that are tied into the Beatles, uh, <laughs> according to what I just read. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit uh, uh, you know, about the book? I know you don't want to give a whole lot away because, of course, we want people to buy the book. But um, the book is The People of the Sign and kind of give us a synopsis of why you wrote the book and the background behind it. Sure. So the book is a, a recounting of events. And um, one of my pet peeves in life is when you're watching a really good movie, let's say, and it's announced that it's based on real events. And you're sitting there watching and you're saying, at least I do this. I'm like, that never happened that way. There's no way that person showed up at exactly that minute. And it's all Hollywoodized. And to me, real life is much more fascinating and the actual facts of a matter are so much more powerful than a, a trumped up emotion that's, you know, that has you wondering if it's real or not. By the way, I'm not criticizing fiction. What I'm criticizing is fictionalized versions of the truth that depart from what actually happened. So when I wanted to recount my events, it's, it's names, date, places, no names were changed to protect any innocent because nobody's really innocent anyway, uh, myself included. So I was a victim of kidnapping as a child. Um, it was a domestic kidnapping. Um, my mother had custody. My father took myself and my two sisters and smuggled us out of the country, the FBI in pursuit, and managed to get us to Sweden where it eventually went to the Supreme Court. Um, 
where he lost and we were returned to our mother. So that's just one of the impactful events. I was separated from both parents for over two years, as were my sisters, and I was separated from them as well. And this was part of the fragmentation and the fracturing. Um, and there was alcoholism, there were drugs and police high-speed chases. So you've got this really, really dramatic story that people have told me they stay up all night reading this book, I which bet. is very gratifying. But what, what was most important to me in writing this was A, that it had to be accurate. And B, I wanted, I wanted people to reflect on their own experience. So the music of the Beatles is woven in as a universal language. The, the music is universal, a universal language anyway. You don't have to understand the words to feel the emotions that are brought about by the music. So by introducing these Beatles song titles, which form, you know, every chapter is the name of a Beatles song. The first chapter is called Yesterday, as you begin to review the history here of my father. Um, you know, the final chapter is called Let It Be. Um, and every subheading within those chapters is also the title of a Beatles song. So you've got Yellow Submarine, you've got Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. And these things evoke different um, feelings in different readers, allowing them to interpret what they're reading and think about their own experiences. So as they're reading this chaotic, fractured life of this idiot who took forever to figure things out, i.e. me, um, they're able to also reflect on their own circumstances and say, well, well, how have I processed that traumatic event that happened to me when I was 10 or when I was 13 or this relationship I was in when I was 20? People from all over the world have reached out to me and it's always fascinating the thing in the book that spoke to them and that sparked their own reflection and their own um, growth through being able to process things that happened to them maybe many years ago. That's, that sounds uh, amazing. Um, I, I'm a big advocate of music as a healing tool. Um, I used it uh, for myself as well. So to tie in the individual songs from the Beatles, uh, as far as to identify each of the chapters, or you said the subchapters. Uh, I think that's ingenious. I think that sounds really, really, uh, really cool. Because, like you said, the the uh, emotions people feel when they hear that song can help them uh, in their comprehension of what they've read, and that I think that's is is awesome. Um, now. Can you go in a little bit more into um, in, into the aspect? I mean, I understand that your your father um, kidnapped you. It was a, like you said, it was a domestic kidnapping, but he took you and your sisters away from your mother. Is that right? Yeah, she had legal custody. So in every sense of the word, it was a kidnapping. And like I said, the FBI was out after him. But because he was a Swedish citizen, and he managed to get us into Sweden, he pleaded with the courts who then awarded him custody. And that's why it became an international court battle. Uh, he had to return to Alaska where he was working um, as a welder on the pipeline in order to pay for the international court battle that you know ensued. Now, of critical importance to my particular story and perhaps the stories of others as they interpret their experiences, I blamed my father. I had, a, I had a close relationship with my mother and um, 
you know, really resented at a deep, deeply emotional, personal level, being pulled away from her without even being able to say goodbye. Um, she came home from work and the babysitter was distraught because the father who had supposedly taken us to the mall hadn't returned because he didn't tell her the mall was in Sweden. So <laughs> now my, my mother was an alcoholic and, and that's why my dad did it. But I didn't know that really as a child of eight. Um, and I didn't understand at all why my dad did it. And so I always blamed him and resented him um, for it. Uh, but when we were, when we were returned um, to her, she had married somebody that she met in a bar in order to just create this facade of a two-family, you know, two-parent um, household, mm -hmm. which she then presented to the court in Sweden. And by the time the plane landed on the tarmac in Canada, where I was born, and the family was out there, the, you know, the press was out there, not in a big way, but to celebrate the mother bear cub bringing her cubs back home. And she was so drunk, she could not walk down the steps to the tarmac and she became belligerent. And, um, you know, that was our, that was the next phase of my adventure of, you know, going from the frying pan into the fire, where in Sweden, I had adapted after two and a half years, my father had eventually moved there to set up household at the court's order with his three children. Um, but now we were, we were at the whim of, of uh, you know, an alcoholic mother, you know, the, the man she had married left within a couple of weeks, and things just spiraled downhill from there. And, um, and I ended up in an orphanage and it, it went from, from bad to worse. Um, but my father had gotten involved in a religious group that most people would consider a cult. Um, <clears throat> and then we were introduced into the life of that church. For me as an individual, that church ended up saving my life. So I resist the tendency to call it a cult. But there are lots of interesting experiences that happen there, both good and bad, that also get woven into the book. And it's not a simple, blatant sort of, um, you know, characterization or, or a caricature of what a, a church might be like. Readers are invited to the, make a decision for themselves what was good or bad about that particular religious approach. Um, and there are many people who were scarred. Uh, seriously from having been involved in that church and I understand and um, you know recognize that for them it was a horrible experience but there are many others like myself for whom it was a, a very positive educational experience that brought certain things into their life that they needed. Mm -hmm. Now I know that uh, as far as the book title The People of the Sign can you define for me and the listeners what exactly is the sign? <laughs> Yeah, the sign is a metaphor for many things. And at the broadest level, the sign is the idea that you are special in some way that goes beyond, let's say, accepting yourself or self-esteem or, you know, knowing that you have intrinsic self-worth as a human being. The sign means that you in some way are special above and beyond other people. In the case of the religious group that I was a part of, the sign very specifically was the seventh day Sabbath. So our religious group kept Saturday as the day of rest, 
like the Seventh-day Adventists, though we were not Seventh-day Adventists, or like the Jews, though we were not Jews, right? It was the belief that God had created holy time on the seventh day and that the Christian churches had strayed or even purposefully perverted the teaching that Jesus brought and that was in existence before his time through Moses, that the people who rested on that day were special to God and that they had a covenant with him. Um, now, personally, today, I, I believe this is true of the Jews. I believe that is part of their identity and who and what they are. Well, but we were not Jews. We were Christians who nonetheless kept that day. And that made us even more special than the Jews might believe they are, as they have a covenant relationship with God. So we were super special, super privileged. We had insider knowledge that others didn't have. And we had a direct relationship with God that others couldn't have. So that elevated us in our minds above our fellow human beings. And mm -hmm. so that is a theme in the book as well, is how do you relate to your brother when you believe that you're more special than he is? Wow. There, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there's a lot of boxes there to, to, uh, to open. Um, you said that from a, from a community standpoint, um, connecting to other people, feeling like you had a place to belong. Um, those are some of the things that you got out of being involved in that uh, church or in that group, that spiritual organization. What were some of the harmful things that 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 you were aware of that happened to some of the people there? In, in yeah, well, let me first add one more positive thing, and that is, in addition to the community aspects that you mentioned, which were which were critical for me, um, there was also the aspect of um, let's just say discipline and character. Um, coming as I did from a, a fragmented unstructured you know situation and moving from home to home and family to family there were all those love needs and belonging needs but there was also just this chaos and the inability to discipline myself and to do anything you know living with an alcoholic mother who would be gone for days at a time so the church gave this very rigid set of rules that had to be followed and it was those same rules that were very useful and helpful to me the belief that there is a divine father who wants me to behave in a certain way that was actually good for me. For others, that was, a, that was a harsh application of rigid rules into a situation where it went beyond what they personally needed. And in addition, there was this heavy element of fear that underlied it all because we were coming into the, the prophesied and time where the book of Revelation talks about beasts and dragons rampaging against the earth and, you know, plagues and people at war and all of that apocalyptic stuff. For me personally, it was a needed wake-up call that, you know, little boy, you're on the highway to hell and you better get your act together or there's only gloom and doom and destruction ahead for you. And my mother's life was like that and she died at age 35. But I was on the same path. And I was shocked when I realized that I was 26 years old and still alive and had a bright future ahead of me because I got out of that very dark period, uh -huh. even, even though fear and rules were part of it. So for me, they were helpful, but for other people, they were debilitating. 
they, they were afraid and they couldn't meet the standards and they went into depression. Whereas I was motivated by the fear and improved myself through the exercise of self-discipline. So it worked out to be a good thing for me, even as other people were harmed by it. Okay. Okay. I, I gotcha. Yeah. I was just, I wanted to kind of touch base, you know, uh, with, with what you were saying. I, I know there's so much more and, and there's only so much we can cover. Uh, we're gonna, we're coming up on a, um, a short sponsor break and, and then we'll be back for uh, part two. Um, real quick. I know that uh, one of the things in your, in your book is about the fact that you, lived in a tent in Alaska outside. And how long did you do that? Was that with your father in Alaska? Yeah, that was actually 10 months. And what happened was my dad had remarried and he now had uh, more children to care for. And so he had to rent a very large house and it was taking too much of his paycheck. So being a man of action and a man of um, uh, abilities and also fearless, he bought a piece of land and moves, moved his family out onto that land no power, no electricity, no water, and proceeded to build a house. Um, he bought a trailer which could house him and the remaining children, which were all girls. I was the only boy left, and I ended up being stuck out in a tent through the entire winter, right? And yes, it got down to 20 below. No water, no electricity. Um, and the low point came when I had a, I had a wood stove in this eight-man army tent, but it didn't quite fit, and I was trying to get it lit, and I was using gasoline, and the thing basically turned into, it basically exploded, turned into a flamethrower, and built, burned off an entire layer of skin on my face. It was a flash burn, so no real permanent damage, but terrifying, painful beyond belief, and it was a low point, and so many times since then, I've reflected on getting through that experience and it was my senior year in high school so my senior year was terrible and i was called tent boy by the other students um so yeah that was that was quite an experience wow well we we're coming up on a uh, short break and then we're going to be back with part two um Folks, we have been talking uh, so far on this episode with Wade Franson. He is the author of the book, The People of the Sign. And let me tell you, this book is, it's intriguing, it's intense. And this gentleman has went through some serious, serious traumas um, and serious uh, uh, revelations uh, as far as uh, personal growth and strength uh, and, and what he's doing now, uh, we are going to talk about that in when we come back from the break. We're going to talk about that uh, in the second half. But um, the, the book is, is incredible. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of it and, and check it out um, because his story is, uh, is unbelievable. Uh, and I think it's very beneficial for anybody that is struggling or having some challenges that they're facing in their life. Obviously, Wade had, he faced many different challenges, and he is with us today, stronger than ever, and doing some amazing things uh, and helping other people. So uh, stay with me, Wade, and we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back uh, for part two. We'll be right back. I want to welcome our latest sponsor to the Man at 50 podcast. The company's name is Pure Green, and they are one of the fastest growing juice and smoothie bar franchises in the U.S. 
they are taking on health straight on with some fantastic uh, healthy delicious products so I would encourage you to check them out at peergreen.com that's peergreen.com and um, I am very happy to be uh, associated with the Peer Green family and very happy uh, that they are a sponsor of the show. Welcome back to the Bennett 50 podcast. We are back for part two with our interview with Wade Franson and uh, way too much coffee today. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to move on with our interview with, uh, with Wade. Um, we were talking about his book, The People of the Sun. And we wanted to go from that into what he is currently doing and how he is uh, serving other people and providing value for others um, that are needing some help. So, Wade, if you can kind of uh, uh, give us kind of a transition from the book into where you're at today, and I'll let you kind of take it from there so we can kind of transition into um, where you're at today and what you're doing, because you're doing some really exciting stuff and and I'd like the listeners to uh, to know about it. Yeah, so we were just talking about my experience in the tent in Alaska. So when I graduated from high school, you know, basically the minute the diploma hit my hand, I left. My, uh, my parents had now finished the house, but, you know, the one that I was in a tent while, for the entire building of. And so I went, I went off on my own, and, but, I, but I was instantly having problems with drugs, and I was in a high-speed chase with the police running off the road at 120 miles an hour. And I realized that if I were to survive, I had to um, get out of Alaska. And the church college was a, was a way out, both in terms of getting out of Alaska, but also the hope of changing my life because I was following in the, in the worst footsteps of the people in, in my life, you know, my mother's alcoholism and things like that. Um, so when I got to the church's college in California, I, 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 I realized that it was a tremendous opportunity for me. I began changing the way that I thought and acted, and I became quite successful. And with my, my language abilities, having lived in Sweden, I ended up in Europe doing work for the church. I was helping them uh, with the German office. Uh, I did many things around the world, South Africa. Um, and uh, I, was, I learned German, I learned French, I was studying Russian, and I ended up in um, Leningrad at the time Gorbachev was abducted. Um, and that was quite an experience traveling in from Finland while tanks were coming the other way from Moscow. And that's wow. quite a dramatic, um, a dramatic point in the story as well. But while in the Soviet Union and the collapse of a, a self-contained system, that kept, you know, many countries in, in the orbit of the Soviet Union, I began to see similarities with the belief system that I had in the church, even as the church was also collapsing under changing doctrines. Um, and in the end, I ended up resigning from the ministry of the Worldwide Church of God and ended up going into business, learning um, more about technology. And I began working with corporations in a, a company called Deloitte & Touche, Deloitte Consulting. And suddenly I reinvented myself as a management consultant. I went and got an MBA and I was very well paid for giving advice to some of the business leaders. Um, and I learned about internet technology. I learned about um, how to integrate technology with, with business strategy. And I did a startup called GoHuman.com out in California, <clears throat> right about the time 
um, I met the love of my life and um, was able to remarry. I haven't even talked about that part of the history. Um, having had a failed marriage and a divorce, just like my parents, which was very traumatic. But um, suddenly my, my new wife was pregnant and we had to move out to the Midwest to be closer to her family. Um, and I continued my corporate path, earning actually a fair amount of money and landing a very stable job. And it was at that time and the birth of my first child that I decided to write this book. But there was no publishing company out there that would really help me do what I needed to do. I didn't want to self-publish and have my book sink like a rock to the bottom of the ocean, but I didn't want to give up control of my story and let somebody else turn it into one of those Hollywoodized things. I knew they would be making me change this and that, and oh, there's too much religion, there's not enough of this, there's not enough of that. I wanted to tell my story the way it really was from my perspective not from anybody else's perspective, and not for anybody else's audience. I wanted to be true and faithful to who I was. And so I started a publishing company, an internet-based model where I could crowdsource my readers before the book was published. And I actually published a book of authentic history from the World War II era um, called Genocide Revealed by a person who did um, did primary research in Hungary about war crimes that had never come to light. That book was published in 2012, and uh, the UN archives were unveiled in, 20, unveiled in 2015, giving credence to what we had put in that book. So um, this publishing model lets others publish their stories, retaining control, and we give them the support and the backing they need to find an audience for their story. Wow. So it's not just a shotgun approach to it uh, and, and hope that the right people find, you know, um, your story or, or a person's story. So you, you guys have kind of, uh, you've come up with a program or uh, an algorithm where you can have people's books not only published, but targeting the right demographics. Yeah, it's, um, it's a marriage between um, a platform and an individual in which the individual can use the power of that platform. And um, it's, it's actually not that difficult once you, once you approach it in the right way. So what we do is we simply have people publish their book idea. In many cases, they haven't even finished the manuscript yet. But you can target people on Twitter, you can target people on Facebook, you can target people on Instagram that have an interest in that topic and you can get them to place their vote, which is much more than a like because they're actually giving their name and their email address. Um, and the author can compile his entire warm market through the various social networks that he has, whether, whether online or in the real world. And we also put them, put the authors through an educational process whereby they get a series of homework assignments that educate them on our model and the publishing world in general. So by the time they've shown that they can be successful as an author in helping to find their audience using our tools and our platform, they've also received an education so that we can offer them a contract and we're not dealing with somebody who doesn't know anything. We're dealing with somebody who understands what the opportunity is that they have, 
what we do, what we don't do, what they have to do, and we've formed a, a partnership that will actually work versus end up being contentious. Mm-hmm. Self-publishing self is, well, it's very popular. And um, I know that traditional publishers these days are struggling unless you're uh, a rock star, you know, someone, someone famous, uh, um, you know, they're, they're still publishing those books. Um, they're publishing a lot of, a lot of political books. Um, and so I know that the self-publishing industry is, is huge. I self-published my book, which was my autobiography. Um, but finding or, or getting feedback from a targeted readership before the book is actually launched, I think is, would be huge. That would be really beneficial, um, you know, for anyone just, just starting out. And I've been approached and talked, uh, talked to by so many people that want to write a book. They want to tell their story, but they, they've asked me, you know, what steps they should take, what are the first steps. And I usually refer them to other people because it's because I did it differently. I went through a uh, hybrid company um, where they did all the mechanical parts of it and I provided the manuscript. Um, And so, you know, there's so many people out there that want to share their story, but they don't, they don't know the first step, let alone all the steps associated with it. So um, that's great. That I think that's great for uh, my listeners and for people that are that are out there um, wanting to learn about the publishing business before you jump into the publishing business. Um, something or other publishing, something or other publishing, is Wade's publishing company, and I would encourage that you reach out to Wade and his publishing company because I think they have a great model. A great starting. Yeah, let me let me say a couple more words about how it works, and that is that um, we don't in any way um, require anything. It's a freemium model, right? So you can you can post and publish your your book idea for free. You can then avail yourselves of additional tools if you want to put money behind it, um, and you can accelerate the process. You can um, you know increase the benefit of the process, but the the overwhelming majority use the free model, and um, Many of them go on to self-publish. Some of them go on to publish with us. Some of them go on to publish with other people. And we encourage all of those. The first homework assignment that you're going to get, you know, when you, when you get your first few votes and you qualify for that homework assignment, is asking you, what is your definition of success? Um, and then we provide some personal consultation as to, you know, how to achieve that kind of success or whether the kind of success that you're targeting is realistic for you and your book. Um, and that, you know, whether, whether you're really, uh, ha- ha- whether you have a, a fair and honest perception of what's possible um, and what the challenges are going to be depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But every author today has a different definition of what success looks like for them. Absolutely. And uh, some are realistic and some are not. Um, I was, I fell into, when my book was released, I fell into the, uh, to the trap of of thinking that uh, the sales would be easy and that, uh, 
I, I bought a lot of extra copies um, and I probably overbought, overpurchased, but that's okay. Cause I'm, I'm going to either sell them or give them away one way or another uh, as, as we move forward. But um, yeah, it's for me, um, my book was kind of a business card. Uh, it was kind of a, a way for me to get my story out there and then expand uh, into other areas uh, of, of things that I wanted to do. The writing part, I w it wasn't that enjoyable for me. It was therapeutic, but it wasn't really, uh, I, I don't consider myself a writer and I don't enjoy writing, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. So, <clears throat> you know, it was a stepping it was just a stepping stone. Well, and, that, and that's exactly right. So there, there, you know, we, we meet many people who have that, that, that the book itself is not the primary goal. It is, a, as you mentioned, a kind of business card, or it's used as part of a, a larger consultation or a workshop, or um, it's an introduction to, you know, something that goes beyond just the material in the book. So there are a lot, I mean, there's, like I said, there really are, you know, for every person, success looks a little bit different and um we can we can accommodate a whole bunch of those different versions but not all and that's why some go on we one of our biggest success stories is a woman who sold the film rights to her book before she even published and then but, but she had been so successful in our model and then she um then she ended up not publishing with us after all because she had um sold the film rights, she was able to get a better, a much better publishing deal with a company that could put a lot more behind it. But then ultimately she was a little disappointed and she came back to us and had us do some of the marketing for her because we have a way of doing it inexpensively and tar laser targeting exactly the people that you need versus trying to throw too much money at it that you're never going to recoup trying to build a mass market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the book world is, uh, is 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 amazing um <laughs> it's very complicated uh it's mind-blowing um but i also you know i share with people i share with my clients that their story um is unique just like their dna is unique just like you know um that no matter what their story is there is a place for it uh, to, to show up. Uh, there's a person that needs to hear it no matter what. And there is so many, it's, it seems that it's so congested with, uh, with a lot of, um, of story, a, a lot of content. Um, the writing community is very accepting. Uh, the writers and the authors are, are they're very helpful. Um, it's not really a competitive industry. But it, it's hard to be, you know, uh, a, a seashell in the ocean. I mean, that's kind of how people perceive it. It's like, well, that, you know, no one's going to want to hear my story. Uh, and if so, I don't even know how to, how to share it with them, you know. So I think you guys have it down. Um, I didn't know about you when I started, and that was only a year ago. But, uh, you know, it, um, it sounds like you have some some great advantages and great tools for people that <clears throat> that want to uh want to get out there and, and share themselves with the world um which is scary but can also be very empowering very empowering um 
before we wrap it up here, we got just a couple minutes left. <clears throat> Did you see yourself as a young man doing what you're doing now? And is what you're doing is, is, do you feel that you have found your passion? Is, is this truly what you love to do or is there other things outside of it? So I, yeah, I, as a young man, my life was so chaotic and turbulent. I, my only hope was that I'd somehow survive to see 30. Right. And, um, I, and I was very much into music. So, I mean, for, for, for a brief period of time, I, you know, maybe had a fantasy of becoming a musician, but, uh, or at least being able to, to write, write songs, if not be a musician per se, maybe some kind of performer, like some of my, my rock heroes. Um, but, but basically, I've, I've wanted to, you know, all my life, what has kind of motivated me personally is, is to help others in ways that I felt I was not helped as a child. So for, for quite a while, I was very much involved in youth work when I was, you know, had youth ministry as part of my time in the church. I continued that after the fact. And even today, I'm involved in a lot of um, social action work. Um, we're about to publish a, a volume um, that will help address some of the racial tension that exists in this country today that has recently spiked and exacerbated. We'd like to do something there and we've got an idea for a book. So what, what motivates me today is just this insatiable curiosity to understand how the world works, how the divine manis, manifests itself in creation and how we as individuals um, my, you know, the people of the sign is the first book in a trilogy. The final book, the second volume is called um, The Hardness of the Heart. And the third volume is called The Rod of Iron. In The Rod of Iron, I explore um, the integration or the intersection of science and religion. I talk about my current belief system, which is uh, the Baha'i faith, which some of your listeners may have heard of. But I also have my own views on the, that, that intersection of science and religion in which the quantum world has these particles that um, are indeterminate, right? It's all based on probabilities. It doesn't work the way the classical physics does. They are in that sense free, they have, they have the fractal pattern of free will. A quantum particle gets to choose in that sense what it does we human beings are the quantum particle at the level of emerging consciousness. What that means is that you get to choose what you're going to do and the divine creator gives you that space to make your own choice, right? The, the divine creator isn't, he, 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 knows, he knows the trajectory of history, but he allows you to make your own choice and have free will and freedom of choice. So, this is where my curiosity goes today to understand how that works and how we work together as individuals and as a collective to encourage people to make better choices for themselves, to set down social structures, relationship structures, which lead people to effectively evaluate their own personal circumstances and make mature decisions. And I think, Brad, that's one area where you and I have a lot of agreement is, is growing up and tapping into those, those experiences we had as children and making really wise decisions today for ourselves that, that make us happy. 
um, and that that give us meaning. And you know that that's where I like to be involved uh, mm -hmm. these days. And I have a wonderful family, two children, uh, a great relationship with my wife. So yeah, I'm very happy and fulfilled these days in in every way. That uh, that is incredible, uh, amazing stuff. Um, I agreed with everything you said, and uh, I think you you touched on or you alluded to personal responsibility. Uh, that is a that is a huge thing uh, that that I uh, promote. Um, obviously, I I had to uh, when I made some dramatic changes in my own life. Uh, the hardest thing was to take one hundred and ten percent responsibility for me, my past. Uh, my present and my future and uh, I and it was a, it was a it was a big deal and, and right now better choices personal responsibility um, taking constructive positive actions to change things you brought up racism in America we are experiencing a lot of turmoil and a lot of things we could we could do another hour or maybe two uh, on just the things that are going on in in the United States um, but 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 there is a there's a thread of truth that runs through all of it um, there are people out there that are that are craving community they're craving to belong to something greater than themselves or bigger than themselves. They're wanting to belong and they're, they're wanting to uh, stand for something and be, be part of something. Um, in my opinion, they kind of overlook the fact that they, they need to start with themselves first before they can contribute to a greater good or to a larger a, lar a lar larger calling. And so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, I've really thank enjoyed- You summed it up well. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you did, you did really well. I appreciate your insight. Um, it was inspirational and, and amazing. I know the listeners will enjoy it. Um, I want to thank Wade Franson. He has been our guest today on the Men at 50 podcast. He is the author of um, the new book, The People of the Sign, and his second book is The Hardness of the Heart, correct? That's correct. And then the it's, third one, is that out, the third book? It is, right, it's The Rod of Iron, so the trilogy is complete. Cool, and as far as, we'll have all the links uh, to contact Wade and to contact um, something or, or something or other publishing, we'll have links in uh, the show notes, uh, so, they can connect with you and obviously they can get your books on Amazon, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, Anywhere. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll put those links in the show notes and have that uh, available for the listeners so they can connect with you. But uh, yeah, Wade, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, your story is amazing. The transition that you made from the struggles, the challenges and the, uh, to say to say the least, a troubled childhood <laughs> and and growing up uh, to where you're at now, and you are seeking the truth. You're expanding your mind. You're helping others. You're providing value, and you're reaching out to humanity. And that, in and of itself, is beyond commendable. I respect you and and honor what you're doing. 
And uh, thank you so much for being on the Man at 50 podcast. Uh, uh, last 30 seconds, so we have anything else you'd like to add, Wade? No, just that it's been a real honor and privilege to be on your show. And, um, you know, any of your listeners, um, again, the, the, the intent of the book and my work there is to share, you know, warts and all my own experiences, good and bad, in a way that hopefully is very, very entertaining and captivating. Um, but that insights along the way, you know, are, are gleaned by, uh, by reviewing that. And if there are any authors out there, yeah, do get in touch with us and, you know, we can maybe help you out. Excellent. Once again, uh, we have been talking with Wade Franson, the author of The People of the Sun and the owner of the publishing company Something or Other, Something or Other, S-O-O-P. So check him out. Uh, the links will be in the show notes. Until next time, please take care of yourself. I appreciate you joining us on the Man at 50 podcast. And as always, love your little me. Take care for now. Until next time. Bye. This has been the Man at 50 podcast. Please join us next week for another episode. And you can visit our website at outskirtspress.com forward slash man at 50 the book.